0: West End Abbey is a contemplative vineyard church in the West End of Winnipeg in Manitoba, Canada. This is a homily from one of our services. So, in that passage, uh, Matthew, the evangelist, quotes this prophecy from Isaiah, which says, The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. Well, what does it feel like to be in darkness and maybe even in the shadow of death anyway? A few years ago on June 23rd, uh, 12 young Thai boys, like from Thailand, ages 11 to 16, and their coach... Their football coach, as in soccer coach, uh, decided after their practice to venture out into this cave system nearby where they, they were. And you probably know the story, right? And they were in looking at all maybe the stalactites and the stalagmites and, you know, echoing their voice throughout the caverns of this cave. And then all of a sudden they hear this r- sound of rushing water, <sighs> you know? And they look behind them. And the, the water level in the cave is rising to the point where it's so fast that they can't get out of this cave. So what do you do in a situation like that? Well, you, you push forward or deeper into a place to get kind of above the level of the water. And they go so deep into this cave and find what's actually called a beach in this cave and scramble up the beach and the water level is so high now that it's like blocking all access out of the cave, the tunnels that they went through. They'd have to like hold their breath for hours to get out of this cave now, and they're totally, totally trapped. So imagine being in the the recesses of a cave in the guts of a cave with no food, no water, no light, no cell phone service, No communication. Utterly trapped, utterly in the dark, utterly hopeless. Well, that's what it kind of feels like to be in darkness and to sit in the region of death. And prior to the birth of Jesus, the Christian story describes humanity and even creation as kind of similarly trapped. Trapped in a cave where the powers of the cave are capital P, sin, death, and the devil meaning that if you're born, sin is going to affect you in some way. Someone's going to say something mean to you at the playground or you're going to say something regrettable. Nobody escapes the power of sin, right? Nobody escapes the power of death. Even if you run every day and eat all the vegetables and fruits that you need and live a perfectly healthy lifestyle, sooner or later, you know what happens, right? So these capital P powers held humanity and creation and the cosmos trapped in this kind of cave like these boys and their coach were trapped in this cave in northern Thailand. And it is in that setting that Jesus, the bright and morning star, the light of the world, shines. The reality of God's presence arrives into the world in a new kind of way. And it was like this when on July 2nd, about nine days after these boys and their coach were stuck in this cave, these British scuba divers, cave divers, went into the cave and one of them described having this instinct of, I just felt like I had to push forward a little bit more into this cave, pops his head out of the water, because remember the cave is totally flooded, takes off his scuba mask, sniffs the air and he smells something different in the air. It's different. There's a different smell. He takes out his flashlight and he turns on his GoPro or whatever camera he had on his helmet and he's shining the light and out of the darkness this Thai boy's face shines and all 12 of them were there, including the coach, all alive, all healthy. Well, imagine what they must have felt to see that light, to see the face of this British scuba diver taking off his mask, you know? That's like what it feels like for people who sit in darkness and in the region of death. That's what it was like for Jesus to arrive on the scene. (gasps) God is here. God is here in a new way. God's presence, the light of God's presence is here in a new way. Right? Now, light in and of itself is comforting. As you can imagine, it's comforting to have you know, a source of light in a dark cave. But light is light because it actually illuminates. It shines. It does something. It's not just there as a nice, warm presence. It actually has an effect, right? It does something. And so in this passage in Matthew's Gospel, I think there are two things that we can see about how God's light shines in the darkness. Yes, it is a presence, and that presence is so comforting, so hopeful, so consoling, right? And we've probably all had experiences of being in some sort of darkness, feeling trapped even, and you have this flicker of God's presence with you in that thing, in that dark place. It is comforting. It is consoling. But light shines. It does something. And in this passage, one of the things God's light does is it speaks It speaks a word of hope. It proclaims good news. The kingdom of heaven is near. Now, for first century Jews, and we probably know this, we've probably heard kind of echoes of this, you know, the the first century Jewish people were under Roman occupation. They were brutalized. They were taxed. They were unfairly, unjustly treated. They were occupied and oppressed, right? And their, their great longing, the great, longing and hope right throughout the Old Testament is that finally God would show up on the scene and rip those chains off and upend the oppression and liberate them, kind of like God did in the Old Testament, to take them out of Egypt and all that slavery, to end that and bring them into a new kind of existence, you know? That's what the Jewish people were hoping for. God, would you please come and not just be with us, but actually speak the word of hope, right? that this is going to end, well, that's what Jesus does. He shows up on the scene, which again, in and of itself, is consoling. We have the presence of God arriving in the world in a new way, but then his, the words out of his mouth are, the kingdom of heaven is drawing near, is drawing near. This was like on July 8th in the Thai cave rescue saga, after the divers have got in, they still don't have a clue how to get these boys out. They're not scuba divers. They can't hold their breath. They, they don't even know how to swim, some of them, right? So finally, eight days later, they come up with this plan, and they announce the plan to the public and specifically to the parents of these kids. Can you imagine what it feels like to have someone you love stuck in a cave and you don't even know where they are? Then you find them, but then you have no idea if you can even get them out, and then word comes to you early morning on July 8th we're getting them out today. This is happening today. The kingdom of heaven is drawing near. Today, Jesus is saying, something is changing now. The kingdom is coming. The darkness is not only just going to be something I'm with you in, but I am going to take you out of it. There's a rescue plan, and Jesus' name, the, the roots of it in Hebrew are that the Lord is salvation. That's what Jesus means, savior, Rescuer. So one way God's light shines is this word of hope, the proclamation that the kingdom of heaven is near. This is not going to be the way it is forever, right? Jesus is not only God's hopeful word of salvation, but he speaks hopeful words of salvation that you and I and all creation are going to be set free from these capital P powers of sin, death, and the devil. Right, But let's talk, more rock. It's not just good to say something. You have to do something, right? It's not just good to announce a plan to the parents that we have this idea, this great idea about getting these kids and the coach out. They want to see their kid's body out of the cave in the flesh, right? Words are important. Presence is important. But deeds are important. And I love that this passage says that the deeds that Jesus was doing to accompany all the talk of good news was healing. Listen to this. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. Now, I don't know about you, and this may be because I'm occasionally prone to melodrama, as a four on the Enneagram, my feelings can just swirl around me, you know? Grace and peace to you, Jennifer. <laughs> but when people are sick, it is for sure, by and large, an, an experience of feeling darkness, feeling trapped, feeling hopeless, feeling like I cannot get out of this, I can't see my life coming out of this in a, in a different kind of way. I feel stuck, right? And especially if the the sickness is unto death, it has like this heightened experience of like foreboding, you know? And we've talked about some of our friends who, who have journeyed through that kind of season, right? So Jesus comes around. He not only is present, which gives us the light of God's presence. He not only says... The kingdom is going to draw near. It is coming. But he actually brings healing to people's physical bodies. And Jesus' healing helps people experience in their very flesh and bone, in their very bodies, the good news of the kingdom. If you've ever been healed of anything, whether it's instantly or through medication, you'll know that it, it feels like a kind of liberation when you get out of that thing, right? Right? Well, for people in the Gospels, when, when they were healed, when they experienced healing, it was for them as this moment of God is real. God is real, not just a fairy tale. And not only that, but God is here right now, alive. It increases their faith. They feel cared for. Oh, you mean you actually care that I have this toothache? God, the creator of heavens and earth, cares that I have a toothache or a backache. They feel loved. It increases their sense of belovedness that they are cared for by the maker of heaven and earth. And it also helps people experience this sense that, oh my goodness, like God is actually king. I thought this sickness had the last word and I was you know, either terminal or chronic or this was just going to have to you know, somehow go away on its own. But no, something is broken in to show me that this sickness doesn't get to dictate itself in my life. God gets to say how my life will turn out. And that increases the sense of hope and awe and joy and even worship. Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine what it was like pre-modern medicine for all these people in the Gospel of Matthew to be, to be healed? and cured of their diseases, what awe it must have created in them, what joy, what worship, right? And we could add to this, as we're talking about the, the kingdom here, that it helps us remember, oh yes, this is not the way things are gonna be forever. If one person gets healed, that means there's another power that is more strong, stronger than sickness. It's like the glass ceiling, you know? If one person shatters the glass ceiling, the ceiling is shattered. If one person gets healed in the name of Christ because of the power of the kingdom, that ceiling is shattered. Sickness does not have the final word over us, right? And just to make a case for this, you know, the early church uh, grew in part for a number of reasons. I read this fantastic book which I commend to you called The Patient Ferment of the Early Church by Alan B. Kreider. and he's talking in this book about how unlikely it was that against the backdrop of the Roman Empire that this small little band of Christians would grow and grow and grow into this pretty big movement you know. How does that happen? Well one of the ways it happened he says in his book is that the sheer diversity in the church was very attractive to people Because, you know, there were kids and adults, rich and poor, old and young, men and women, Jews and Gentiles, all mingling together. And people were like, what is this community? How can such a community exist with such, on paper, opposing people together? And they were attracted to the gospel and to Jesus because of that. They were also attracted because the church cared for those on the margins. The poor and the orphans, and in their case, shipwrecked people. And people looked at the church and they thought, what is it about these people and their God that helps them and makes them want to lean towards the least of our society? There's something about this God that must be true because look at how they care for the vulnerable. right? And the last ingredient, as you could have guessed, is the church demonstrated the power of the kingdom of God. People would come with ailments and even demons and there would be exorcisms and healings and the church was known as a place where if you don't have any success with the doctor or the medicine, bring them to the church. Maybe they can do something for you. And that's the way it is, by the way, in the third world even today. That's why the church is exploding across the developing world is because they have this recognition that Jesus is not just about a comfortable presence or consoling words, but can actually change flesh and blood. The power of Christ can actually touch a person's body and change them, right? So this is like on July 8th after the rescue plan is announced the first two boys are brought out of the cave. And the parents see the bodies of these boys, and they're alive. And in fact, all of them get out of the cave, right? So in this gospel, we begin to see Jesus' remarkable healing ministry. We see bodies getting healed, people getting cured, which is, scholars would say, one of the main reasons the crowds flocked to Jesus was because there was something awesome about him That was happening that they couldn't explain, right? So I want to finish with a story, and then I have a few questions for you. Now, truly by the grace of God, I've had the privilege of seeing people, a few people healed, like in front of my eyes. Obviously, it doesn't happen all the time, and we're not in the business of promising that kind of thing, but there are some times when I have literally seen in front of my eyes someone get healed, and as I was thinking and praying about which of these stories to share, this one came to mind. It was about a woman named Catherine. I used to work at a drop in in the North End previously, and this woman used to come sometimes to the drop in. And one day, as I was leaving on my way home, we lived pretty close, uh, so I'd walk, she was out there with a couple of friends, and I just said, Hi, her name is Catherine. We began talking, and she looked kind of like she was hunched over or clutching her back, right? So I asked Catherine, you know, can I pray for you? Can I pray for your back and and ask God to heal you? Mind you, I was on the way home, so I didn't have very big plans or expectations because I was like, I got to get home, you know? I'll just say a quick prayer. So I put, I asked her if I could put my hand on her back, prayed for her, and, and again, this does not often happen, and I can't even say it, it always happens. But she went, ooh, and her eyes like popped open, like she was plugged into a socket, and all of a sudden, like a device came to charge, and she's like, ooh whoa, and she's like doing all the actions. And I'm, I'm having a pretty good guess that something is happening and something good. You know, she's, she's whooping and hollering. And so she says, like, it's better. So I said, well, why don't you, like, why don't you see if you can stand up and walk and just wiggle around and just see, see if it actually feels better, you know, because I don't have much faith <laughs> in these cases. And so she does. She stands up and she bends and she's still going, Ooh! like that, you know. And she, I said, like, do you have any more pain? Like, is there any more pain? And she says, none whatsoever. And then she closes her eyes, and this might have been my favorite part. She closes her eyes and she said, he loves me. He loves me. He loves me. Now, it is awesome to see someone healed. Not everyone gets healed that we pray for, obviously, but the thing that will stay with her alongside the healing is that sense, oh my goodness, God is real and here and cares and loves me and is powerful, and that is why we pray for healing, because there's nothing of that that is bad fruit. Now, We don't promise healing. We don't guarantee it. We don't say if you pay $200, you will get your healing. All we do is we ask, we pray, and we leave God to decide who and when and how and what happens, right? But I want to be a person who always, if a person wants it, prays that God would heal their body, like here and now. I want our church to be a church where people could, wouldn't it be amazing if you were like, ah, this Tylenol is not working with this headache. I better go to church, you know? Wouldn't it be amazing to have that sort of fragrance that the early church had where, oh, there's something about this God. There's something about this God, you know? He loves me. Ooh, In this gospel passage, Jesus is described as the light, right? Those who sat in darkness have seen a great light. Those who sat in the shadow of death, light has dawned. And I've talked about the light of God's presence, knowing that God is with you and for you in your darkness. That's awesome. To hear God's word of hope this is dark yes this is even deathly yes but this is not going to be the way it is forever you will be set free and we celebrate that every week in our communion communion liturgy because it's so easy to forget it you will get out of this cave i will rescue you from this cave but not only words of hope not only a presence of hope but healing He sees me, he loves me. The kingdom has drawn near. So my prayer for us is that we would all seek to grow in awareness of God's presence, of God's words, and of God's work in our own lives. And also my prayer is that we would be a people who would ask for healing and who would pray for people for healing? Why not? So I'm going to give just a few moments of silence for you to sit with this passage to see what If anything, the Spirit might be stirring in you, speaking to you, even here and now. And then we'll pray together.